I think about this analogy of what I felt like in this life. He was the driver. I was not in the passenger seat. I wasn't even in the back seat. I was in the trunk Mm. where it was dark and I was along for the ride. I knew the car was moving, wheels were rolling and I was going, but really didn't have a clue. That's what life felt like Mm -hmm. all the time. Welcome to The Brave Place, where we journey into the lives of brave men and women who have beat the odds or who are in the trenches right now. Difference makers who have truly discovered the warrior that lives within and are living it out. This is the place that will inspire, encourage, enlighten, and challenge that brave person that lives deep down within all of us. Welcome back to another episode of The Brave Place. I'm your host, Christy Rodriguez, and thank you for joining us today as we enter into season three of The Brave Place. Today's episode is about a true story of a teenager who found herself in a web of manipulation and emotional narcissistic abuse. I do want to say that this is a mature topic that we are discussing, so listener discretion is advised. Uh, As we get started, I want to give you a little background on our guest, Michaela Fields. She's a wife, a mom, a follower of Jesus Christ, as well as a talented singer, guitar player, and songwriter. I've asked Michaela to do this interview because her story, when I first heard it, it just blew me away. Michaela, welcome to The Brave Place. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited you're here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because the journey you have been on is truly unbelievable. And with that, I want to dive right in. So first of all, You're Italian, born in Italy. Yes. But grew up in Switzerland. Yes. Now, being Italian, but growing up in Switzerland, you faced a little bit of that outsider feeling, right? Yeah, I did a little bit. I remember there was this one word they would call Italians and they called us chinks. So I was a chink. Uh, just little things, just trying, I was always trying to fit in, always trying to just be normal. I just wanted to be like everybody else. Mm. So smoking and going to parties and all of that was starting to be a big part of my life. I think in the moment I was just so busy trying to fit in and enjoying finally actually starting to be liked and fitting in and people seeing me. I felt, I felt a little more seen. And then you have an encounter with God. How did that happen? My mom made some friends about two and a half hours away from our town. She wanted me to go and just meet these people. So we did. We met up and we found out that they were in a small group, a little house church kind of thing. And my mom really wanted me to get involved. Here are a group of people that are loving God. They got this house church. I would like for her to be over here. Do you think that that was her mindset? Probably. I think, and I don't know for sure. I had actually just finished school. So I was 16, maybe just turning 17. And, uh, I meet this man and, uh, he's 50. He's married, has a daughter and he's pretty much the leader of this little house church. And so 50 as in five Oh, as in five zero, he's 50 years old. And I am just barely Seven. I'm not even 17 yet, I think, at this point. So I go there and I just started going on the weekends, actually. So the first time I went, I was just really blown away by the authenticity of the group. It was just very organic. I really liked it. And after I went a couple of times, I gave my life to Jesus during one of the meetings. Uh, and it really was amazing how I realized 
my relationship with God had been so shallow and it had been the kind where, yes, I believe in God. And I'm going to give a visual picture because I'm so visual all the time. So Mm -hmm. basically I, the way I remember it is that if God is a mug and we keep our mug up in the cupboard, right? And so whenever we're thirsty, we open the cupboard, we take down the mug and we fill it up and drink and then we wash it out and we're done and we put it back. Mm. That was my relationship with God. He was a mug in the cupboard. And that was not good. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I I did realize that, no, God, actually, he sees me and he cares about me and every single thing that I do. And just that realization, understanding the need that I had for a savior and because of my life of sin and just really not, not pursuing him at all, just pursuing my own gain and my wants. And that was good. That was really good time. Mm-hmm. But that was also the beginning of things going south me in a different way. One of the people that was in the house church had a bakery there and they offered me a job because Mm -hmm. I did not have a job at the time. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So Mm -hmm. I did move there, had a little apartment. I know you say like it's normal for kids in Europe. They graduate typically around 16 years old, Mm -hmm. right? And then they either go to college or they go to work at that age. Yeah. Right? Actually, a lot of them will start an apprenticeship. I know that is not as common here, but that mm-hmm. is very common in Europe. But that turned not so good because I started spending a lot of time with this teacher um, privately alone. And uh, the 50 year old, the 50 year old. Yes. He just seemed to know everything about the Bible. I was so impressed by him. Just everything. He had answers to all my questions. seemed like it. Uh, We did a lot of Bible studies privately, but those Bible study times turned into more than that. And we got very close. And as I said before, married, right, with a daughter. And he began to tell me that he was having a lot of problems with his wife, that she had told him that she was going to leave him, said that that was a for sure thing. But I actually started being sexually active with him Mm. while his wife was still living there. We started that before she had even moved out. Um, And what was I thinking? I don't know. I can't tell you. I've asked myself that many times. Mm -hmm. What was I thinking? Mm -hmm. But I did. I just trusted him completely. And I want to acknowledge, though, the fact that you were 17 and this was a 50 year old man and you were being manipulated things that he would say to you about how he and his wife were having problems. And he was privately having a Bible study with you starting off absolutely already inappropriate Mm -hmm. for 50 year old man and 17 year old girl. Who's just getting to know the Lord, a situation where a girl was taken advantage of. It's funny because I just never would have thought that in the moment, never even crossed my mind. To be honest, the first time that I realized that that was what was going on is when I shared my story with somebody and the feedback that I was getting from the listeners was like, Oh my goodness. He was so manipulative. Yeah. It almost like, Oh my goodness. Yeah, he was. Yeah. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. sharing my story has been healing for me and helped me understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how that happens. And he wanted you to keep those meetings a secret from the people in the church. Yes from your parents. I mean, all of that. Because they wouldn't understand, right? This is a special thing and only we get this and only we understand. If anyone's asking you to keep a relationship secret, that's red flag number one. Yep. It's time to, to run as far away as you can. 
Your parents try and get you to come back. You're running away from them. You're like, no, I'm not coming back. So what happens after that? You're living with him now. Are you in his house? Yeah, I eventually actually moved in with him. The people in the house church had a problem with it. They voiced that, but I don't know how uh, he explained it to them. I mean, they just, I feel like they just tolerated it. Mm -hmm. Weren't really okay with it, but tolerated it. Um, So I turned 19 and find out that I'm pregnant. So that was, that was a very sad day for me. I was very much in shock. And I remember telling him and it's almost like a little switch went off inside of him and he immediately began planning for the future. And he said, okay, well, we're going to be getting married and we're going to, and I, even when he said the word getting married, it was like, what getting married? Like I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> like you would think mm-hmm. that, you know, me sleeping with him and, and doing mm-hmm. all this that I would be thinking that eventually, but no, no, I hadn't even thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized that, okay, well, this is my life now. This is how it's going to be. So I'm pregnant. And yes, of course we're going to have to get married. Needless to say, he was still married legally. So that was going to have to be sometime in the future. But um, he made plans to go to Israel, actually, because um, he had some ties to Israel. He had been there in the past. And so that was the plan. We're going to pack everything up. We're going to disappear to Israel. We're not telling anybody where we're going or what we're going to do. That's what we did. We went to Israel and basically just disappeared. Um, My parents never knew. I never told them. We were there for a couple of months while I was pregnant. And the plan was to actually stay there, but he could not get enough uh, finances together to be able to do that. So a friend there helped him out to get us tickets to go back to Switzerland. So I actually had my firstborn in Switzerland in the city of Luzern. And I continued to work in the bakery until I was five months pregnant. So I hid my pregnancy. What's the reason he would tell you you're in hiding? Is it because he's still legally married or it's because people don't understand and we just need to do our own thing? All of it. All of that. We especially did not want my parents to find out because he knew my parents would uh, try to find me, try to get me to come back home. And um, he would say many times, he said they would never understand our union and they're just out to destroy what we have. And this is special what we have. We cannot allow them to do that. And so there was a lot of fear there and pressure to just make sure that this was kept a secret. And um, so every time I would go out, because I would go out on walks or go to the grocery store while I was pregnant and even right after I had the baby, I just, oh, just, praying. Like, I just hope I don't run into somebody I know or somebody who knows my parents or even my parents, because really that the town of Lucerne is only an hour away Mm -hmm. from the town where I grew up. Mm -hmm. So just a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. And the place where we stayed, it was a hotel kind of situation. It was a one room apartment and it was above a strip club. Wow. Because that was a safe place place supposedly to hide. Like no one would think to look for us there. I just remember being in that one room place with my baby. And it was just a very odd situation. There were girls coming uh, up and down the stairs there. I would see some of them and just thinking, this is such a strange place for me to be right now. (laughs) But he would go out every day um, and come back. And I never knew really where he was going, but I knew we needed money for sure. And on Sundays he would go and say, uh, I was invited to speak at such and such church that had never heard of before. And they're going to pay me for that. So that's our income right now. So that's what I'm going to be doing. So, um, he'd go and come back and I'd always wonder, does he talk about me? Does he talk about our child? Does he, 
and I, I didn't really know, but I knew that, well, he's doing what he needs to do right now. We need money, right? So meanwhile, we were making plans to come to the U.S. because he was actually originally from here. He's an American. And um, he said, I just, I'm not, we're not doing well financially here. So I know that if I go back to the U.S., I can make really good money for us. So that's what we did. My baby was three months old and we got tickets and we flew to California. Did you tell anybody? No. Okay. Nobody knew Wow. what we were doing or I did not have a friend. Like if you did try and make friends, would he try and isolate you or keep you from making friends? Did that ever happen? Before I got pregnant um, in Switzerland, I had one friend she came and visited me and we spent a little bit of time together. So she was probably my only friend at the time. But even after her visit, I did not continue to have contact with her because again, just this fear that I just don't want to give her too much information. What is she going to think? She's going to tell my parents, she's going to, you know, and I just really made an extra effort to not tell anybody anything Mm -hmm. because I just thought it's all going to it's all going to blow up in our faces. It's not going to turn out well. I just need to keep things as they are. Do you still love him at this point? Really, honestly, I feel the moment that I found out I was pregnant, it's almost like I kind of woke up and mm. realized, oh, this this is this is not at all what I was thinking would happen. And I slowly began to just see and realize, you know, and there's a lot of hormones involved there when you're first you know, in love with someone and they start to wear off. I I remember a counselor at one point told me it takes about a year and a half for those, you know, those hormones to start to, I don't know if it's dopamine or which one it is Mm -hmm. (laughs) to kind of wear out. And then you start to uh, understand what's going on, but that didn't even matter because again, this was a God thing, right? And I wasn't going to mess with that. This is God had put us together, whether, whether my feelings are for him or not, I was in this and I was committed to this and um, God had blessed us with a child. Definitely view Mm. that as a blessing. I still view that as a blessing. Yeah. So I was not going to touch that or mess with that at all. I was just going to keep going and do what I needed to do. So what happened once you got here? I remember when we first arrived, we went to stay in a trailer and it was in Northern California and it was kind of out in the woods a little bit. Didn't really it was very different from what I'd grown up in, even just being in a trailer. I've never even seen a trailer before. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> they do not have trailers in Switzerland much. I remember staying there for a very short time, just maybe less than a week. And there was a knock on the door one day and it was the police. And they were there to inform my not yet husband <laughs> that there was a warrant out for his arrest from years ago. And had something to do with a deal that he had made in the past with somebody. There was a car theft involved that he had to go to uh, Las Vegas, I believe, and pay this $4,000 fine. And if he did that, took care of that, he would be able to go back after a couple of days. Did you hear the police tell him that or that's what he told you? That's what he told me. Okay. Because whenever the knock came, I had to go and hide in the bedroom with my baby. Because again, there was this whole hiding thing. Um, and I think a lot of that too was just the fact that was that there was such a huge difference in our age. He didn't want to people to question anything and be like, "Wait a minute, what is going on here? This looks kind of weird." And so it was just better for me to kind of be in hiding for a while. So he left 
at this point, I mean, we had diapers and I knew there was some food in the fridge, but I had nothing else. I was very scared, especially with this brand new baby, three months old, right? I've never had a baby before. I didn't have my mom to help me figure out things. And so I just kind of had to figure out what to do. You know, being a new mom, Mm -hmm. just saying, man, I wish I could call my mom. Yeah. But you couldn't, you couldn't call anybody because no, you were hiding. I didn't have hiding. a phone and I didn't have, uh, I didn't have money. I didn't have anything. It was just me and the baby and diapers. That is just unbelievable. So does he come back? He comes back and uh, he took care of everything. Everything was going to be fine. He found a job in the next town. So we moved there to an apartment. So I really wasn't ever shown how to do things like pay bills, you know, go to the bank and go to a post office or, you know, and anytime we had to get groceries or anything like that, again, I don't drive, right. I don't know how to drive. Uh, he was always with me. I was never anywhere by myself. Mm-hmm. He was always there. So just very controlling, manipulative. You don't really realize it's happening. You think this no, guy's just this taking, is normal. This yeah, is just how it is. You don't yeah. know anything different. No, this guy's taking care of you mm-hmm. and you're not really happy with him, but you, said, this is my man and God brought us together and we're going to do this basically. Yeah. And then what? Um, He eventually gets a job as a sales representative uh, for a company that sold adjustable beds and things like that for elderly people. The company tells him that if he moves to South Carolina, there'd be a lot of new leads. So a lot of new opportunity to make lots of money. So yeah, we pack up and go all the way to South Carolina. And then his company moved him again to Pennsylvania. Now we're in Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania was uh, a little different. I love the landscape there. It reminded me of Switzerland, by the way. A lot of people have said that Mm -hmm. about Pennsylvania. It's really pretty. So um, we get to know some Mennonite people there. And let me tell you, amazing, amazing people. They're so diligent to just be in the word. They love the Lord. And they um, taught me how to garden, how to can stuff. I mean, I learned so much. And this was my first time that I really got to make some friends. But even that relationship didn't last. I think they realized after a while that we had no intention of joining the Mennonite church. And I think they also didn't like him very much. There's some conversation had taken place. He liked to talk about theological things and not just talk about it, but really argue about things and trying to convince people to believe what he believed. We didn't really continue that relationship for very long, Um, but I became pregnant again when I was in Pennsylvania with my second child, my daughter. Again, was not happy to be pregnant And I had this overwhelming desire to call my mom and it was just stronger than I had ever felt. And I mean, this whole time there's been no contact with my parents whatsoever. And how many years has it been up to this point? It's been five years. Wow. No contact. Wow. Yeah. So he actually surprisingly allows me to call them. And so I call them and the tears, I mean, my mom could hardly speak over the phone. It was just very emotional and Um, I just remember telling her that I'm pregnant and, um, she was just, I don't even remember everything she said. It was just so emotional and only lasted about two minutes. He, I remember him telling me, don't be on the phone too long because maybe they can track where we are. I don't want them to know where we are. So (laughs) kept it short, which they would not have been doing that anyway, but I believed it in the, in the moment I believed it. So anyway, had that conversation and then, um, 
actually continue to be able to call them once in a while. So I remember even when I was in the hospital, just had my daughter, I was able to have a Skype call with my parents. They were able to see me and see my kids. And that was amazing. That was so good. But that did not last because at one point I had to tell my parents that he really wanted me to have this conversation to say that, okay, look, we are a family. I need you to accept my husband, even though I know you have a problem with it, but I need you to accept it because we are a whole, right? You cannot just have a relationship with me and want to see the children, but not want to talk to him or see him. And um, I said that in my, I remember my dad just said, Michaela, we love you so much. We are, we are never going to accept him as a son-in-law. That's, we're not, we're not doing that. That's not going to happen. And um, whenever I told him, that's what my dad said, because I translated, right? He didn't really speak Italian or German very well. He, he said, oh, well, that's it. That's it. We cannot continue to have contact with them. I can't trust them. Mm. They're going to try to come between them. So you're going to need to cut off the, the relationship with them again. So that was heartbreaking mm-hmm. to have to do that. But I did believe that that was what was best for us, that if we were going to be successful as a family, then um, I needed to keep them away because they were just going to divide us. So, wow. Yeah, that was hard. Mm-hmm. I will say, you know, even though I was not happy with my circumstances with him and just feeling so isolated, the kids are really what kept me going. Mm-hmm. They were always just the biggest joy in my life. And I, I really see how God used them to just sustain to just you, sustain me. Mm-hmm. And just the joys that I had were through my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And still. I can't imagine your, your mom just not hearing from her daughter in five years, not even knowing where you are, mm-hmm. not seeing you. I did find out later that my dad had hired a private investigator to kind of just figure out where I was. And it was really hard. He he must have worked very hard to keep us under the radar. Um, but he did find out. He told me years later, he's like, yeah, I, I knew where you are. I knew we were at this address. I knew you were, when you were at that address. And that really made me cry, too, because I thought, man, this whole time, my dad, you know, he's just trying to pursuing you. Yeah. So how long did you stay there in Pennsylvania or did you? move or yeah we were there gosh maybe total of two years he made friends with this lady it was one of his clients it was she was an older lady very wealthy and she wanted to hire him to take care of some things for her some legal things had to do with her properties she was on some very heavy pain medication so she was always i would say probably not 100 percent with it Mm -hmm. but um he was very willing to help her and she even said if you'll just quit your job i want to hire you full-time I want to pay you more than what you're making right now if you'll just work for me and take care of all my issues. So he did. He accepted it. Like um, all her financial. All her stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. got power of attorney and everything. So I was not too happy about this situation. I thought it was kind of odd. And we started having nicer things. We were eating out all the time. One, di- one time he showed up with a Cadillac Escalade and he said, oh, she wanted me to have it. Anyway, it was nice, you know, having having things and not having to worry so much about finances, but it was definitely a little bit odd. Um, And then after several months, I think my daughter was about nine months old. He said, you know what? I've been thinking about changing our lifestyle a little bit. I want to try to just be more off grid. And I've made some contacts with some people in Missouri. 
And I'm thinking about we should just move there and just try a different life and just try to be more self-sustaining. I mean, you already know about gardening. Let's try to just live the simple life. Right. And I thought that was weird. Um, but but you you bought it. Because you were just like, like uh, okay, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, and let me tell you, let me give you just this analogy of what my life felt like with him. And by the way, I still don't know how to drive. He did not want me to drive uh, because he didn't think it was safe. And also, apparently, my depth perception is off. And I did not know this, but he knew he noticed this about me and he really didn't want me to drive. And so I, when I think about driving in cars, I think about this analogy of what I felt like in this life. He was the driver. I was not in the passenger seat. I wasn't even in the back seat. I was in the trunk Mm. where it was dark and I was along for the ride. I knew the car was moving, wheels were rolling and I was going, but really didn't have a clue what the heck was going on. That's what life felt like Mm -hmm. all the time. And we moved to Missouri. Off the grid. Off the grid, three miles of dirt road to chickens running loose and trailers with holes in them everywhere. And that's where... That's, that's where we lived for several months. And uh, we were in this community of people who were, I guess, like-minded as, as he was, Hebrew roots. They celebrated the Sabbath and off-grid. There was this plan of uh, making a, cons- constructing this tilapia farming kind of thing, combination greenhouse and fish. So you have a little bit of both, right? You have your veggies, you've got your protein. And so, yeah, we made good friends there. Um, but again, he got into theological discussions with them about this and that, and uh, they very soon did not want us there anymore and wanted us to leave. So he made plans to leave again. He made some contacts with some people that were also kind of off grid in Arkansas. And he said, I'm going to leave today. I'm going to go get some help to help us move. So I'm going to go down to Arkansas. I've already rented us a place. I'm going to get the keys. When I come back, come get you. Uh, it was about noon or so. I don't hear from him because normally he's always calling me, right? Checking up on me, making sure everything's okay. I don't hear from him. And I thought that was weird. I call him, no answer. Well, then the sheriff shows up on the property and he says that he'd been in an accident, head on collision. And that's really all he could tell me. He knew he was at Washington regional and, and then he left. And then I thought, what am I going to do? I have no car. I have no money. I am supposed to leave here. I literally had no idea what I was going to do. And the people there were so kind. They were all really pretty poor, but the little bit that they have, they gave me. I remember this one couple, at least sweet couple, just gave me a hundred dollars. And they said, this, this is all we have right now. And then if you could just pay us back later. <laughs> so I thought, yes, of course I'll pay you back. But it was so sweet that they were just willing to give that. And another lady said she would drive us to uh, Fayetteville. She said, well, just she had an itty bitty car. So hey, get in the car. I'm going to drive you, all the three of you. And so that's what we did. We went there. I was able to find him at the hospital. And then, um, I mean, he had just come out of surgery. He was on heavy, heavy medication. So just trying to figure out what to do was, it was very scary. This is the first time that I was having to interact with people and trying to make decisions. And it wasn't through him really didn't know what to do. But eventually whenever he got a little better and he was just able to talk, he told me to call this number. He gave me his phone, call these people, tell them what's happened. Um, so I did call them and I was able to go and stay with them. They were off grid uh, while he was in the hospital healing. So uh, they were very kind, just kind of didn't really know us. Right. But yeah, just let us live with them mm. and stay with them. What about the, in the accident, 
like what happened there? I mean, so the accident was very tragic. Um, the other vehicle involved, there was a man in there and he was killed. What happened was, is he was trying to pass and very curvy kind of area. And your husband was trying to pass. Yes. He was trying to pass and he, well, didn't see the oncoming vehicle. He really was not supposed to pass there at all. It was a double yellow line, but yeah, he's, he did say he had tried to swerve and avoid the head on collision, but he didn't, he wasn't able to. So it was definitely his fault, 100% his fault. But the man who died, he was alone in the car, but he had a wife and three itty bitty ones, a tragic loss. And I, I just couldn't believe that my husband was responsible for another woman's husband death. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. That was mm-hmm. really, really hard. Did it seem to phase him? Yes, it definitely hit him hard. Um, but at the same time, also excusing and trying to explain why that happened. It wasn't really his fault. And yes, he was going fast, which I knew. I knew how he drove. I knew he was always a very fast driver. He had never been in a wreck before. So tried to believe, you know, what he was saying about it wasn't really his fault. And Did he get a ticket? Well, no, he got um, arrested again <laughs> later. Once he came back from uh, the hospital, police came to the house one day and arrested him on the spot. So he was taken for that accident, for that accident. Mm-hmm. Yes. Charges were pressed. Yeah, he was taken away. And that was also very terrifying. Mm-hmm. So I have no direction now. I have no idea what to do. I had a lot of trouble making decisions. Mm-hmm. I thought everything had to go by him first. Yeah. He was used to making all your decisions. You didn't have any confidence Mm -hmm. in yourself. Yeah. Um, And he often, I will say one thing he would say over and over again was this, I was doing this before you were even a concept in your mother's womb. mm. And he would say that often. Anytime that I questioned what he did or asked even, are you sure? Or like, no, that's what I would hear. And I couldn't really argue with that because that was actually true. (laughs) He was doing things before I was ever even born. So he knew, he knew everything. Yeah. So anytime that I tried to make a decision, I had to make sure it was okay because I didn't really know. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that experience. Right. And so, so he goes to jail mm -hmm. and you're hanging out there at the house with your two kiddos. Mm -hmm. And how long were you there? Well, I had to start making plans very quickly to move out because we didn't really have a lot of money. We did have some money from the uh, car that was totaled. Right. So we had that. I think within a month I had moved out and I was staying with people that we had gotten to know. So I just realized I forgot to mention that we did actually legally get married uh, when we were in California. Our son was about one year old. So I often forget that people will ask me, like, wait a minute, were you married at this point? It's like, yes, mm-hmm. we're actually legally uh, married. One of the scariest things when somebody you're close to is in jail, whenever it first happens, you don't know how long it's going to be before they're back. That was the scariest thing for me because I didn't know how to plan. I didn't know how to live. I didn't know how to mm-hmm. think about our life mm-hmm. now because I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Is he going to be back? Because this charges I had heard from the attorney, right? The charges that were being pressed against him, he was looking at potentially 30 years in prison. That was going to potentially be his the, the worst the of sentence. his sentencing. Wow. Right. And so I didn't know. I didn't know what to do, but I did get a hold of a lawyer. How do you talk to lawyers? <laughs> Everything, every single thing that seems so normal and common for your everyday person, right? Was just so weird to me and so difficult and so scary. He ended up being gone for a total of seven months. And when he came back, I remember he was so happy. And I thought, oh, okay, we're together again. And this is good. And thinking about the time of him being arrested and like, God, why, why did you allow that? 
And I thought this is punishment. This is punishment because I sinned and I. Because you sinned. Because I sinned. Right. And I started this relationship with him out of wedlock, not only out of wedlock, but while he was still married. And so I definitely viewed that as, as punishment from God. What would you tell Michaela now? I would tell her that she clearly did not understand that God is not waiting to hit you over the head with a bat every time you mess up. He does let you experience the consequences of your own actions, right? So that you can grow, so that you can learn. But no, this was not God punishing me. This was just, well, he did something wrong. Right. Just a consequence. It's a consequence, right? Plain Mm -hmm. and simple. So he comes back. Now you're living your life again together as a family. Mm -hmm. Then what? Then... He gets involved with this man who was originally from Iran and uh, they try to make this deal to make money, right, to provide helicopter transportation to people in Iran, right? And these people were potentially going to be dangerous people, but, you know, he had connections and so they were going to try to do that. He had um, a history of being a helicopter pilot. He was um, in the Marines for a while and so he was very much into all that, right? So, um, yeah, he did try to make this deal, but he realized I'm going to have to contact the FBI and let them know about this because him being out of jail, he was on parole. And so he knew that he had to be very careful with what he did because he could potentially end up back in prison. He contacted the FBI. His partner did not like that very much, um, but he did and told him about their plan. And the FBI said, absolutely not. You're not doing that. That's too risky. The partner decided we're going to do it anyway. We're going to make plans. We're going to do this stuff. And so he thought, well, I'm not going back to jail. (laughs) So he actually started giving the FBI information, became a secret informant. Right. And that was our income actually for (laughs) several months is just him giving this information to them. And um, this has all since then been declassified. I can talk about it, but honestly, I don't know a whole lot of details. These were all things that were being discussed away from me. I was not a part of it. Um, I just remember the FBI showing up at our house several times and just them having these meetings. And I had to always go away, you know, not be in the middle of it. That is just so bizarre. That was very bizarre. (laughs) Definitely very weird. And what blows my mind is his ability to truly manipulate and talk to anybody about anything, he could probably sell that rock outside on the street oh, and, and convince people absolutely. it's the most valuable rock on yes. the planet. He was he was very successful uh, when he was a sales representative. So um, several months go by again, and there's another knock on the door. This is knock three, by the way, if you're keeping count. And it was the police. I've come to find out that they don't ring the doorbell. <laughs> Just like the knock, they knock. <laughs> yeah. So, and they arrested him again on the spot. I kid you not. There were probably seven or eight guys there in their full gear attire. Coming, oh my goodness. Coming to the house. Oh my it, it goodness. Well, that, that should side. give you a clue on the extent <laughs> of what he was doing. Probably. But this was something unexpected. This was a charge from Pennsylvania and it was this old lady that <sighs> he had been working for. She had pressed charges saying that he had taken advantage of her and stolen, I think it was over $120,000 from wow. her. So he is gone Taken to the jail in Huntsville, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I just remember sitting in the house again with my two kids. And I'm like, Lord, 
This is happening again? Are you kidding me? Like, I don't understand. Third time you've seen cops showing up at your door for your husband. This is, yeah, here I am again. Uh And so I was a little calmer this time around. I knew the drill. Okay, put our (laughs) stuff in storage. I'm going to apply for food stamps. We're going to do, you know, all this stuff and trying to just, where are we going to live? What does he tell you when the cops are walking away with him? Does he look back and say, hey, I'll call you. Don't say anything. He said, no, don't say anything to anybody. I'll straighten all this out. It's going to be fine. Mm. That's what he told me. Anyway, I put everything in the car. I shut the trunk. And I remember thinking in that moment, God, I don't know what the next 10 minutes look like. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. Where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. And then who do I call? (laughs) But the wife of the partner that he had, right, that he was mm. making these deals with, I knew she would she would take us in. And meanwhile, I made some uh, new connections with some people in Huntsville who had a little um, house church kind of gathering, and they were very, very kind. And one of the couples who attended there just happened to have, this is such a God thing, happened to have an extra little house on their property that they called the schoolhouse, and it was empty. And they offered us to be able to go stay there and live there for as long as we needed to. Mm. And I just remember breaking down in tears, just thinking, I just don't even know. Wow. How is God just, you know, going ahead and already laying that on their hearts? I didn't even have to ask. And my husband would call me every single day to know what's going on, check up on me and letting me know everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. And I'm, I'm witnessing the people here. In In the prison, in the prison, people were coming to the Lord in the prison, which actually, you know, because I know how God works, God can use anything or anybody. That's right. I believe that. Yes, that was actually happening. So eight months go by. Like he's in jail for eight months in jail in Pennsylvania, by the way, he was extradited to Pennsylvania. And yeah, so I get a call him saying, hey, I am at Walmart. They just uh, they let me go. I said, what? (laughs) What do you mean you're at Walmart? Because I'm at I'm Walmart by meeting with the judge and, and they made a deal and I'm, I'm, I'm free to go. Of course, I'm on parole again and I, I'm going to have to pay fines. But can you send me some money? I need to get a Greyhound bus so that I can come to you. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is happening. Did you want but it to happen? Honestly, Were you like, no, oh my I, gosh, no. I really don't want to go. I pick hung him. up the phone and I bawled. Mm. I just cried and I thought, no, I I like my life right now. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's not in order and it's it's not perfect, but I like my life right now. And this is going to mess everything up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to be the same. So I, did, I grieved that moment that he said, and I, and I felt guilty at the same time because like, hey, this is my husband. He's getting out of jail. I should be happy. That's not what I felt like at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, made sure he got back and he did come back and, um, that was not even, that that was not good. Him coming back, he got into it with the guy where we were staying at. He accused him of trying to, um, make a pass on me. The, the truth is with him, of course, his life story is very long. I mean, there were 50 years there worth of life. He, he needed some healing. He needed to heal from his past and the things that were done to him and had happened to him. Um, and he just never did that. You know, mm-hmm. he just kept going and he's strong and he's a man and he's got this and he never really healed. And so I think that is why he did what he did and said what he said and sure. manipulated the way that he did. So sure. Not saying that to excuse what he did. I'm just saying often when you see people acting like that, right, or being a narcissist or whatever mm-hmm. you want to label someone, there's a reason. Um, also from the accident, you know, it, it had broken 
his leg in two places. That was not really healing up that great. Kind of started acting like a uh, in-home nurse, I think, which I was right. completely unqualified to do. But I had to just take care of this wound every single day. And he was not very kind to me as far as the way he talked to me. I mean, may have already gotten that impression, but he very much liked to use all kinds of four-letter words directed towards me and in front of the children all the time, sometimes directed towards my son as well. That combined with me having to take care of him that way, mm-hmm. you know, it was just hard, mm-hmm. was extra hard. Mm-hmm. And um, it just got worse and worse and worse as his health declined more and more and more. He uh, had trouble just even getting up to just walk a few steps to go to the bathroom. I mean, it just had to be there and make sure he didn't fall and it got really bad. Continued to work though, faithfully. He worked from home, did everything over um, through the computer and over the phone, but very much struggled uh, in his health. And just taking care of this guy who is talking to you abusively mm-hmm. and emotional abuse towards your kids. Yeah. And then you came kind of to a breaking point, right? I, I know if I remember correctly, you told me about you went to the restroom one day, just got on your knees on the floor and prayed. I I would love to sit here today and be able to say, oh, I was just so trusting the Lord all the time, read through my Bible four or five times and just always on my knees in prayer. And that's just not the truth. The truth is that many days, probably most days, I was angry at God and Mm. I just felt abandoned. I felt that he didn't care and I didn't understand why I had to go through what I had to go through. Mm-hmm. with this life, with this husband that I didn't want and I didn't like and still believing that, okay, this is still consequences of my own actions, but God, why? And what are you doing? Um, it was my daughter's birthday party. Just a couple of people over. I was kind of going in and out. The party was outside. He was sitting inside. I was just making sure checking up on him because he just wasn't well. He didn't want to go to hospital. At one point he said he needed to go to the bathroom. I helped him up took him to the bathroom, shut the door. And then I hear this crash. Mm. I go back in and I realized that he was passed out on top of the toilet. It was broken. There was water spewing everywhere. So I didn't know what to do first. I tried to turn off the water. Right. Um, and he was turning blue right there. And so of course I'm screaming, call 911. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they came and tried to revive him for an hour and nothing. And I mm. still made them take him to the hospital just because I didn't know if they knew what they were doing. I, I just, I just was, it wasn't registering in that moment that he was gone mm-hmm. and he was gone for good this time. It wasn't just going to be seven months or eight months. He was actually gone. That was such a weird thing to go through because here, here come all these friends that I've made through the homeschooling community. And I'm so sorry, Michaela, and they want to grieve with me and I could not grieve. I didn't know how to process this emotion of feeling free, finally feeling free. And it's Mm. so hard to do that when you're, when you're expected to grieve and be sad, but I felt just freedom in that moment. And I knew though, this is going to be so hard. I have Mm. no idea what I'm doing. I don't even know how to write a check. (laughs) I don't know how to bank. I don't know. You know, even though I have been alone for a little while, I still, there was so much. I just never really learned. I, I appreciate your honesty on that. I mean, I can't imagine all the mixed emotions. There's, there's the, fear of the unknown, the future, right? Now you're really on your own. And there's so many things that you have not been equipped to do. You don't have the tools. So I could imagine that fear. And then you've got the the loss here for your kids. And, and then there's that feeling of freedom 
I'm no longer in this oppressed, abusive home. And then there's also this grief of the last, how many years were you married to him or with him? About 13 13 years. So in this weird way too, there's this connection and bond with someone that you'll never see again. Mm -hmm. And you're okay with that, but then you're kind of not. You are. I really didn't understand what's going on with me emotionally right now. I don't even know how to process any of this. Whenever I was able to just learn and really find out who I am and what I like. And I was realizing that, man, I, this is a good life now. This is good. But God, I didn't know you were this good. Mm. You know, like I just always thought of God. Yeah, God is good, but you're still going to have a really, really hard life like your whole life. <laughs> but at the same time, I had to tell myself, God never promised me a good life. Even he just promised he'd be with me. Mm. But now it, it wasn't, you know, now it wasn't so hard. And yes, some things were so hard, you know, finances and little things here and there. But overall, God is good. God is really good. Mm-hmm. And I did not know God to be this good. Mm-hmm. Started experiencing that freedom and mm-hmm. and just finding more about who you are. Mm-hmm. Really getting, getting to have your own voice and experience your own giftings freely. Yes. You know, yeah. worshiping, making without guilt. Fr- yeah, yeah. Without guilt. But it was hard. It was hard to process what was hard. Just ask the worship pastor. He knows. <laughs> he yeah. had to constantly encourage me and constantly tell me, yes, you can. Yes, you can lead. Yes, you can do this. Just, yeah. just worship, you know? Uh, so that was good. It was important for me to have that encouragement. The first time I heard you sing was in church and I was like, what? You sounded like a recording and you always do. Um, just worship is just always so beautiful when you're a part of it. I just want to say that. Oh, thank you, Christy. Well, and, and you you recorded a song. I um, have. Um, yes. What's the name of your song? Still, I will praise. Every time it's such a blessing, just the way you usher in the Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you, Christy. Now, I do want to switch gears before we run out of time, because I want our listeners to know about one of the sweetest redemptive parts of your story that began about a year and a half after your husband's passing. Um, someone new came into your life. So tell us about that. I decided to get on this app. It's a dating app. And I was terrified. I thought, gosh, I'm going to have to go on like 30 or 40 dates before I even meet somebody who's halfway decent, because that's what I was hearing. I find this one guy on this app and I thought he was really cute. Anyway, I meet him first date and I wanted to see him again and again and again. And I know, <laughs> I'm now married to him. So that was so amazing. And that he's was, a phenomenal guy. He is. an He is. I swear he's part angel something. He oh. is just, you know, and that was another thing that I remember even before I started dating, asking God, God, is it okay for me to ask to be married to someone who is, you know, all those things I really wanted. I mean, he's kind and he's got to be handsome. He's got to be handsome. Right. <laughs> um, and, and just treats me with respect, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and encourages me to use my gifts instead of suppressing all of that. And who will be a good father to my children? Is it okay for me to want those things? Even that seems silly to say this way, mm. but really I was just wondering if it was okay that I would ask that because I didn't know him to be this good. And I'm just here to tell you today. Yeah, he is this good. And I'm so grateful. So, so thankful. I've been able to heal. I thought I healed pretty well there during that year and a half, but even being married to someone who's healthy, not perfect, but someone who is healthy and loves me 
the right way has helped me heal even more. I still feel like I'm healing in so many areas. Mm -hmm. Well, he truly is a phenomenal guy and I could not be more happy for y'all. And your wedding to this day was one of the sweetest weddings I have ever witnessed. And I think I could do another whole podcast just on that wedding day. I got to ask you this before we go, your, your relationship with your parents, how often do you talk to them now? Yeah. So we video chat once a week, but then we're always texting throughout that's amazing. I haven't seen them since since the wedding. They were here for the wedding, mm-hmm. of course, which was uh, right. amazing, amazing. Which was right before COVID. Right before COVID. Yeah. Right before COVID. And so we are hoping to go to Switzerland, all of us, uh, next uh, July. So that's God exciting. Willing, we'll be able to do that. You think I would fit in one of your suitcases? <laughs> <laughs> you can come anytime. I adore you. I love you. And thank you so much for being a part of the Brave Place and sharing your story here. Thank you, Christy. And that wraps up another episode of the Brave Place. And I'd like to say that if you or someone you know is living in an abusive situation, I encourage you to visit the website for the National Domestic Violence Hotline and they can provide you information, resources, and organizations in your specific area that will be of great help to you. Thank you again for hanging out with us today. I'd love to know your feedback on any episodes that you've heard here on the Brave Place. Shoot me an email at Christy at the Brave Place. And that's Christy spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-Y. And until next time, have a brave day. Thanks for listening to The Brave Place, part of the KLRC Podcast Network.